Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Every so often, we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart and enliven our spirit. And that's my intention with this podcast. It's an opportunity for you to take a few minutes out of your busy day and listen to what I hope is thought provoking and empowering content. Each week, my guests and I share stories, challenges and vulnerabilities, as well as tips and insights on a whole range of topics all with the aim of helping us to live in a more soulful, authentic and integrated way. So thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into this week's episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this special episode of my podcast. It's special in that it's dedicated to my new book, Words to Inspire, which is now available. Um, It's only been out, I think, just over a week or so. And I've been delighted with the uh, with the response, with the sales, uh, and most importantly, with the feedback as well. It seems to be really resonating with people. Uh, so this week, in addition to sharing some exclusive extracts from it, um, I'll also let you in on some of the secrets that go into the process of, of creating a book. So sort of what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, but let me open by sharing the blurb from the back cover, because I've spoken about words to inspire a little, but I've I've not given um, a, an insight into really what's it about. Um, so this is what it says on the back cover of the book. Uh, we've all been through a lot. We carry worries and insecurities that others usually know little about. There are times when we need some encouragement, words that will capture our mind, engage our heart and enliven our spirit. In this charming, quietly, life-enhancing book, James Sweetman's compassionate insights and thought-provoking questions offer respite from a turbulent world and busy lives. Words to Inspire explores over 60 themes that have become part of modern-day living, from feeling stuck and coping with change to dealing with difficult people and learning how to be less tough on ourselves. This book doesn't offer simplistic answers. It prompts us to think and to reconnect with what's truly important in life. Words to inspire will easily fit into your day. Reading it can become part of a self-care ritual. This gem of a book serves as a calming reminder of the resilience, wisdom and courage that we all possess when we slow down. So that's what it says on the back cover. People have often asked me, well, what's your inspiration for writing, James? And I said, gosh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, as I would have said before on previous episodes, you know, I've been writing for a long time. Um, I started writing a diary back in January 1986, and I've written in it every day since. Um, I've written over 800 blog articles and words to inspire is my sixth book. I'm sort of losing track of some of them. Um, um, And uh, writing is what I do. You know, it's a bit like a singer sings, you know, a dancer dances, a writer writes. Um, I think it's something that I'll always be doing. And interestingly, in recent times, particularly having taken some time out last year or earlier this year for my practical sabbatical, as I've called it, um, I found myself going back to writing again and, and really loving it. And of course, it was in that time out that I I started writing words to inspire. And um, one of the very early maybe 
inspirations for this particular book, though, goes back about 20 years. And and this memory only came back to me consciously a little while ago. I remember being fortunate enough to go on safari in South Africa back in 2003, I think it was. Yeah, so almost 20 years ago and met up with some friends afterwards who lived there. And I remember going into a book shop um, just outside uh, Cape Town because I always gravitate to the bookshops. And uh, this one was charming. It was very small and it had loads of coffee table books in it. And I, um, over the years, I've, I've fortunate enough to have a few nice coffee table books here in the, in the house. Um, but back then I hadn't really come across them and uh, picked them up and they were beautiful and hardback and full of gorgeous imagery and photography and on various different topics. But I remember there was one in particular that struck me because it was beautiful nature scenes, uh, South African uh, nature scenes um, and lovely little quotes that went with it. And I always remember um, that now I didn't buy the book. I remember thinking at the time, I'll never fit this into my bag and there'll be excess baggage coming home, etc., etc. But um, I never bought the book. Um, but it really struck me as something, gosh, one day I'd love to create that. I'd love to have my own hardback book. And, uh, and Words to Inspire is hardback. Now, it's not full colour, you know, it's not full of imagery on every page. I think I would have broken the bank, um, but there is plenty of, of imagery uh, within it and plenty of beautiful photography as well. And uh, there's loads of quotes, but of course, it's mainly a written book. It's uh, it's full of content, as it were, as opposed to just, uh, just images. Um, but that was one of the early sources of inspiration for words to inspire. And um, I speak about the topic of inspiration quite a bit. And I think for me, it's always about observing and paying attention and sort of noting what speaks to you or what stirs you, uh, because you never know when it will be when it will become come in handy. Um, and that's certainly been the case for me as a writer and the inspiration for various different, um, uh, not just books that I've uh, written, but also different articles. You know, I don't think a weekend goes by that I'm not noting something that I come across in a newspaper, you know, that has just triggered something for me that I can maybe incorporate into a, an article or do a little bit more research on. Um, and that's something that I enjoy doing as well. So let me share with you another little extract from Words to Inspire. This is actually from the opening chapter that's just entitled uh, Welcome. Um, and it's one that I put a lot of thought and emphasis into, not just because it's the um, it's the first um, chapter in the book, um, but I really wanted it to resonate with people who who pick it up. So if you hear a page turning, it's because I'm actually reading from the from the book itself currently. Uh, so this is from the opening chapter. Welcome. This book started out as a blog post. Fifty things I know at fifty. Let's face it, any birthday ending with a zero prompts reflection and turning 50 in the middle of a pandemic certainly had me asking the big questions. What have I learned? What's important? What's the point of it all? I realise now that I've been on a search my entire life, a quest for knowledge and enduring wisdom. I know many people are on this search too. I call it a soul yearning, a desire to make sense of the world, to live a meaningful life, to be happy. With this book in your hand, I suspect you are a seeker too. I call this book Words to Inspire because there are times when we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart and enliven our spirit. My intention is that spending time with this book gives you a break from your busy life, that reading it becomes part of a self-care ritual. You could speed through it as you would a novel. However, I suggest you take your time. 
allow it to help you find more space in your life. If you are at a crossroads, I hope you find solace and inspiration in these pages. Ultimately, I hope that words that came from my heart will settle in yours. As the late Ram Dass said, we are all just walking each other home. Some of the insights and life lessons I share took me 50 years to learn, often the hard way. Others are truths I thought I'd forgotten. Like so many people, for most of my life, I looked to others for their answers to my questions, for their guidance and even their permission. Eventually, I began to look in the one place I discounted, within. There I sifted for new treasure, my own gems of wisdom. This book is a staging post on that journey. Before you turn the page, let me share three things I say to all my private coaching clients. No one has your unique combination of life experience, skills and personality. You are perfectly yourself, whilst like all of us, still a work in progress. And finally, you do your best every day, just as you have always done. Because you are the expert on being you, each chapter closes with some reflection questions, an opportunity for you to harness your wisdom and to make this book your own. I've dedicated words to inspire to my dad, Seamus, who passed away shortly after my milestone birthday. His hand still rests on my shoulder. As a man, he lived his wisdom. Perhaps that's the greatest inspiration of all. So that's the opening segment from Words to Inspire. And as I said there at the, at the close of it, um, I'm so proud that this book is dedicated to my dad, who was a great reader, uh, particularly in later life. And he's someone who also dabbled in writing himself. Um, and I, I'd like to think he has been a, a guiding spirit on my journey with this book. I certainly felt his presence when I was writing it. If you're interested in getting your own copy, signed copy even, of Words to Inspire, it's available through my website, jamesweetman.com. The introductory cost of the book is €20, and because it's hardback, there is a higher postage charge, so the postage is is a tenner. So the book is 20, postage 10, and uh, the all-in price then is uh, €30, available through my website, jamesweetman.com. People have asked me in recent times, James, are you having a book launch? Um, I think because they've been to some of the previous ones and they've probably enjoyed them as I have. But it's funny with this book, whilst I know it's important to uh, to celebrate um, a milestone like having a book, um, things have just not fallen in place for a book launch this time around. I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, first and foremost, maybe the time of the year. Um, you know, people are busy. There's the run up to Christmas. Um, If I'm having something in the city centre, there's the commute to get into the city centre, parking and traffic and busyness. And then I'm also aware of, you know, having a a crowd of people together at times when maybe we're we're still not 100% comfortable back in, in, in busy rooms you know, coming into the winter time and masks and God knows whatever else um, is still about. Um, and I might be sort of saying to myself, James, are you coming up with excuses not to have one? But I've I've learned in recent times to go with my own intuition on this. And if something's not running smoothly, you know, don't push it. So I haven't been able to get a venue or maybe someone to launch it. I had one or two things lined up and they sort of fell, fell, fell apart, the plans. And um, so that's not meant to be on this occasion. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting blasé because this is book number six and I've had book launches, I think, for four of the previous ones. Um, I don't think it's that because I am making a, a concerted effort to um, uh, celebrate it in, uh, in different ways. And I'm sure there will be gatherings and workshops that I'll be running at some point in the future where the book then will also be available. 
Um, on that note, um, I know some of you um, certainly in the past have attended my annual January workshop SOAR, which was shelved like so many things were in the last um, few years with COVID and with lockdown. Um, but it's not going ahead in January of next year. Um, again, it, it just doesn't feel right to me. I think SOAR will come back in a, in a different guise at some point. Uh, but the main reason for that is I'm just too busy. Um, I would have spoken before about how I'm also back at college, uh, working full time and studying full time, uh, doing my MA in creative writing. And there's lots of assignments in that due in January. So throwing a book launch and another workshop in on top of that was just a little too much for the for the one man band. That is uh, that is jamesweekman.com. Uh, some of you may have seen on social media recently where I've been posting um uh, bits and pieces about the about the book, as you can imagine. Um, but I shared a, a video um, that Brian took of me opening the uh, the first box of books when they arrived. Um, and I sort of said to him, no, don't take the video. You know, it was like, you know, people are sick of me. <laughs> and, uh, but he took a short one anyway. But what was interesting with the uh, with the books when they arrived, you know, you might sort of think, gosh, you know, were you so excited? Were you waiting for the van to pull up and... You know, was it like a child on Christmas morning? And uh, I have to say, I was probably a little bit more anxious about it than I was excited. Um, you know, I'd signed off on the book back in back at the end of August. You know, the design, the printing, all of that was signed off. And then it took the printers about seven weeks, so slightly longer than usual. Usually it's three to four weeks, but it took them seven weeks to um, to get it delivered. So thankfully, I had, I had no book launch scheduled because I wouldn't have had the, had the book for it. Um, and, uh, and of course, this is a, a busy time of the year for, for book production and book sales, uh, hence the delay. Um, but then it arrived and a whole pallet load of them were, were, were shipped into the garage here. And uh, I took one inside and Brian was on a meeting um, online. So I sort of left it on the kitchen table. And, uh, you know, got on with whatever I was doing. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I'd sort of forgotten about the book a little. Um, because I say I'd signed off on it. I was, I was into different things and uh, it had been parked. And then he came off the phone. He was all excited and he said, have you opened it yet? Have you opened it yet? And I said, no. He said, oh, were you waiting for me? I said, well, I, maybe. And uh, um, But he took the video. But it's interesting on the video, which you can see on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, um, you know, I'm sort of a bit, a bit, you know, expressionless, I think, when uh, when I have the scissors and I'm opening the box, because I think I was a bit more trepidatious opening it. My fear was something would be wrong with the books, um, which is perhaps symptomatic of something bigger, a thought pattern that I run, a belief that I have. I said, gosh, what if it's not what I'd hoped it would be? Um, but of course, as soon as I opened it up and felt it and smelt it, you know, that smell of new books, I could feel it in my hand and, and the quality of the paper and the imagery. Um, my expression subtly changes from trepidation to calm and then maybe even uh, finishes with, uh, with quiet pride uh, because it is quite a moment to see something that started as an idea uh, manifest into a, into a book, a hardback book, and something that I can share with the world. Before I share with you another little segment from the book, let me give you an idea as to some of the timelines involved in writing the book. I think I started um, with the idea of it in May of 21. So that's what, about 18 months or so ago. And then I finished the process of writing it um, back in February of this year. 
So that was, what, eight months or so in total. And Words to Inspire is not a huge book. I think it's about 40,000 words uh, long. Um, whereas if I think of the previous book I did, Finding Catherine, back in 2016, and of course it was a novel, so that's a different type of book, but it's just over 100,000 words long. Um, and, um, you know, and that took about two years to write. Um, hence, the, you, know, you know, the time commitment that's involved in producing something. But I finished it back in February. Then there was a few weeks of editing um, by my friend and expert I, Sarah Abel, who's based in the UK. If anyone is looking for a good professional editor, I would certainly recommend her. And I can pass on her details to, to anyone who might be interested. And then, of course, there was the work of the design of the book. And unlike previous books, the inside of this had to be designed as well, not just typeset. So there was the, the colours and the imagery and um, working with a designer on that. Um, of course, I had um, photographs of myself taken as well. Um, and the decision was made that I would be on the front cover because after all, they're, it's words to inspire and they're my words. And, um, you know, it's the first book where I'm on the cover of it, but it sort of feels right um, at this stage. So I had uh, Conor McCabe, a wonderful photographer, take those photos and that was Gosh, I think the end of 21, those photographs were taken. Um, and I was aware that more broadly, I needed updated imagery for websites and promotional things. Um, and I also knew that they would sort of fit in with the book as well. So uh, after the editing and the design work, um, then there was weeks and weeks of uh, proofreading. And this is beyond the editing and the proofreading that would have happened back in March and April. This is when it's looking like the actual book as opposed to a Word document, and every line is checked. And that's read and reread, and it's read backwards, and it's read with a red marker in hand, dotting each word, like signing off on each word. And you'll always find some typos. A general rule of thumb with typos that I found is that even though you've, you've gone through it before, you'll probably find 10 or 15 um, on the first pass, and then on the second pass, there might be two or three. So it usually works down of a ratio of 10 to 1. Um, I'd reached the stage with the book where I could almost recite it. I had read it so much. And, um, and and that, of course, then, you know, you lose your objectivity with it. You begin to think, is this absolute rubbish? Um, you know, you're just too familiar with it. Um, and I know for me at that stage, sometimes I can fall out of love with it because I'm just too, I spent too much time with it. One of the things that was interesting this time around with the book, the previous two books I had produced uh, were, were physically printed in the UK. and uh, But Brexit um, changed that this time around. Uh, they became way too expensive and then there was additional transporting costs. So I was delighted to be able to give the book back to an Irish printer uh, who had printed some of my earlier books. And uh, they were the most competitive now. And of course, as I say, nice to be able to give it to an Irish um, firm as well. Um, at the same time, some early chapters of the book were shared with some friends and contacts, you know, so I could gather some reviews and testimonials that could be incorporated onto the website and, and used on social media to promote it. But then, of course, there was the website itself, so it had to be updated to, to take the, uh, the new book. Um, and of course, my website was six years old and it needed a bit of a refresh anyway. So I think, as I mentioned last week, if you've not been onto my website, jamesweetman.com, it does look new and fresh, hopefully. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a substantial piece of work in itself. But I was fortunate, you know, to work with someone who got my vision and we worked together at quite a pace. 
you know, so that that was uh, updated and refreshed uh, quickly. And then, as I say, it was the end of August. So I'd finished writing it in February, worked on it continuously. And then at the end of August, everything was signed off. Um, the words, the design, the cover, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then it took the seven weeks for it to be produced and delivered to my door. And then you'll see online that little video where I, where I open it uh, trepidatiously. Going back to the topic of celebrating the book, for me, the biggest celebration comes when I finish the process of writing it. And that was back in, um, in February of this year. Uh, for me, the design and even the promotion of it um, you know, is, more, is more work than, than pleasure. Of course, there's also work involved in writing the book. Um, but that's, you know, that's my passion. That's, my, that, that's in my heart. You know, whereas the design, the production and even the promotion of it is something that I have to put more conscious effort into. But in that regard, a principle that I, I try to, to operate to is that if I don't value the work I do, how can I expect anyone else to value it? And I think that's useful for us all to remember, irrespective of the nature of the work that we do. But if I don't value and appreciate what it is I do and my offerings to the world, how can I expect others to, to value it uh, either? So I know with this book, I've poured my heart and soul into it. I know there is content in there that will be of benefit to many people. So I want to do my part in starting maybe new conversations. And this podcast is an example of that, that maybe brings it into people's awareness. And then if it's something that appeals to them, they might wish to buy it or they might refer it to someone else. And uh, that's the, you know, that, that for me is the, is the completion of the process of it. It's a bit like, you know, there's no point in being wonderful at what you do if no one knows about you. So that promotion piece is just part of the process. So what I'm going to close with this week is a is another chapter. Um, there's no, I was going to say this is one of my favourite chapters, and and but I have to say I don't really have any favourite chapters because I think they're all good. <laughs> They've all had so much uh, blood, sweat, and tears in them. Um, but the the chapter I'm going to share is on one title should. That's the title. That's the title of the chapter. And um, let me give you a bit of background though as to how this chapter came about. So, you know, I, when I'm thinking about this book, I'm thinking about the, you know, the themes and the topics that I want to explore. And some of them were very obvious from the outset, you know, things like confidence and courage and dealing with change and seeking clarity and, and self-love, all the big themes. You know, and over the years, I've collated a lot of information on these topics. I've written about them. I've probably even done a podcast or two on them. So I have plenty of resource material that I can go to. But I... I also then wanted to think about other issues that come up time and time again with with clients or in, in workshops uh, or questions that I get at conferences, you know, topics that are maybe slightly more narrow, but that people can also relate to. And one of those falls under the umbrella of the, the word should, you know, and how we're constantly using the word should, I should do this, I should do that. And uh, that sowed a seed for me. So then I sort of went to different resources that I have, you know, perhaps books from the bookshelf here, went online, did a bit of research around that topic. And what research does for me is often it inspires me and helps me link ideas together. And then I'll start to capture those ideas, you know, start doing a bit of a brain dump on a page, knowing that it'll be a bit clunky and a bit all over the place. And then usually a day or so later, I'll revisit what I've written and I'll start reworking it. You know, what I always do is to try to get an engaging first sentence. 
in a book or in a chapter, something that will hook the reader, you know, a question, an image, a metaphor. Um, and I also open each chapter in this book with, uh, with a quote, you know, and for me, you know, I love my quotes, but a quote is a succinct idea, you know, that's relevant to a particular topic. And uh, each chapter will also close with a quote, maybe a short summary of the core idea of the chapter. And then I also share three uh, questions. And, uh, you know, I had to come up with those questions as well, but they came out of research I've done and my own contemplation of the uh, topic. So some of the chapters in the book, and I think there's 68 in total, you know, came together quicker than others. But I reckon on average, each chapter took probably 20 hours or so of concerted effort to pull together. And it's reworked until nothing else can be removed from it, is how I sometimes phrase it. So it communicates, you know, what I want to communicate um, in the fewest words possible, or possible for me anyway, uh, without it sounding stark. Uh, people often ask me, how will I know when a chapter or a book is finished? You know, well, that's a difficult one to answer, but I, I tend to sort of just know. It's hard to explain. Um, maybe it's because I've said what I wanted to say and I'm happy with how I said it. And there's something of a flow to it. And it also sounds right to my ear because, of course, as part of the editing process, I'll have, I'll have read it aloud. So here's an extract from Words to Inspire, chapter 17, and the chapter is titled Should. And it opens with a little quote. Instead of a swear box, how about a should box? I suspect we would be shocked if we knew the number of times we said, let alone thought, the word should. I should be thinner, richer, happier. I should be more successful. I should be able to cope better. The word expresses a range of emotions from guilt to frustration and even regret. When it comes to the language of self-criticism, the word should is the most insidious. With every utterance of those six letters, we proclaim that we don't accept who we are or where we are in our lives. The source of our shoulds is found in the expectations of others and in society's ideal of the perfect person. Every time we feel we are falling short of these expectations and benchmarks, the word should is unleashed. Many aspects of the personal development industry perpetuate the cult of should. We should set goals, take massive action, be unstoppable, crush the competition, be super productive, go big or go home. The word imposes pressure, fuels perfectionist tendencies, and stokes insecurity. In one breath, should dismisses our past choices and achievements and reinforces our sense that we are not good enough or somehow flawed. We might think we are using the word to motivate ourselves, but should is not the voice of encouragement. Instead of empowering us into action, we question ourselves and feel worse. Starting any endeavour from a place of feeling less than rarely produces the best results. There's a big difference between wanting to do something and feeling we should do it. At first, it can be hard to unpick our genuine wants from the shoulds we've absorbed. Pondering questions such as who said I should or where does this thought originate helps us to identify the underlying motivation. With a little self-referencing, we can come to realise that we've been striving for things we don't really want. It's wonderful to have desires and dreams. We just want to make sure that they belong to us. Our litany of shoulds is not just self-directed. Our judgment of others is pinned to the word. The kids should be quiet, tidier, home earlier. My team should be more motivated. Society should be more tolerant. Should is a word that consistently contradicts reality. It's normal to have expectations of others, but when our relationships are based on how we believe others should behave, we are not respecting their freedom to engage with the world on their own terms. 
Every should is a block to unconditional love. As well-meaning as we may be, the word should spotlights and even reinforces the behaviour we want others to change. Should is so embedded in our psyche and vocabulary, it's not possible to live a should-free life. However, we can be conscious of how subtly undermining and judgmental the word can be. When we notice we are saying or thinking the word should, assess if it's empowering or disempowering. We can swap the SH for a C or a W, as the words could and would foster autonomy. Better yet, replace I should with I choose. If we feel we have choice, we feel more in control. Connect choice with motive, why something is important to us and motivation is ignited. If we know we can choose to do something, it also implies that we can choose not to. And how liberating is that? The questions that close this chapter are, what are my common I should refrains? How have I used the word should to judge others? How can I convert current shoulds into conscious choices? And a closing quote, I honour and accept myself just as I am. So I hope you enjoyed that little extract from uh, Words to Inspire. And I hope you enjoyed my musings on the book this week as well. Some of my inspiration behind it and maybe the process of producing it as well. As I said earlier, the book itself is available on my website, jamesweetman.com, with the cost of the book €20 plus postage and packaging. And because it's a hardback book, the total cost is uh, €30. Um, And as I say, as it says on the back of the book, I'd like to think it's a resource that people will find beneficial, something to dip in and out of, uh, rather than reading from cover to cover. It's something to have maybe on on a coffee table or on the bedside locker. And of course, I would like to think it would make for a good gift if we're thinking of gifts at this time of the year as well. So thank you to everyone who has supported me on my journey of writing this book and for your encouraging words and for you know the feedback and the, the response to date, which has been fantastic. Um, so thank you. And until next time. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode and have a moment, please rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe you'd like to share it with a friend too. For more information about me, James Sweetman, my coaching services, workshops, books, and for more podcast episodes, be sure to visit jamesweetman.com.